Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, the only, and as of now, longest-running Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. Ours is also the only one with on-the-set stories and real-life Trek history that you've never heard before. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount, and with me, as always, is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. Brandon, how are we today? Mitch, you ugly bag of mostly water. You know, I'm I get that great. a lot. I get that a lot. Um, really great that we we are now the longest running Star Trek podcast. That's that's quite a milestone, isn't it? It's really amazing. Um, because I noticed when I was um, you know, exploring the Twitter sphere, I'd go to find some friends, podcast friends to to follow and be followed by, and mm-hmm. I would click on a podcast and be like, oh, episode ten, two years ago episode three, uh, 13 six months ago you know like they yeah. would they would just never really be that long running and now in my light research i've yet to find another tng focused podcast that had as many episodes as we did with the addition of this week's one which i and you know it's baffling it's baffling mm. because it is not that difficult i've found to be wildly successful at podcasts not at all. You it's know? um, it's pretty easy when you think about it, and in, there's no clearer evidence for that than than our own success. So right, of course. Um, I I have to think that anybody who's not experiencing and enjoying this level of success just really is not trying at all, at all whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. So we're um, we're in our own sphere. We're in our own stratosphere. Uh, the radio room. It's it's us and the other guys, basically. And, right, right. And, you know, we, we are, as we found, we are the ones that the fans come to for this kind of content. And um, yeah, we always will be. So right. I, I'm actually thinking if, if anyone had any plans to make um, to make a, a podcast to rival ours, they might as well not even try. Right. It's, it's no use. They should just give up. Yeah. Um, so... But part of the reason that fans come to us is, you know, our insights, our stories, and the fact that we're able to answer their questions, which um, brings us to our question of the week, as always. And this mm-hmm. this week's question comes from Phil. And Phil asks, what exactly is a tricorder, which is, um, you know, a prop that, that the characters on the show often use? And of course. that's like a really oddly insightful question to ask really shows that phil's paying attention um because the tricorders they do a variety of things really just anything that the characters need them to do if they need to scan the atmosphere if they need to get readings of something if they need to be a communication device like whatever they can do it all um that was not the initial vision for the tricorders the first plan was to have the tricorders um kind of be a piece of outdated technology in the world of Star Trek, like the characters would start uh, using their tricorders and be like, oh man, this hunk of junk can't do what I want it to do. Um, and this would init- eventually set up the introduction of the quadcorder 
in season four. And the idea is that the quad quarter would be such a leap forward from the tricorder that all the characters would be, you know, giving a lot of lip service to them. Like, oh, these amazing quad quarters, they're so efficient and and um, and I can use them really easily. They're so great. But really early on, there was a lot of plot holes and, and painting ourselves into a corner where we needed some kind of almost magical device to explain away the problem of the scene. And that always fell to the tricorder. And at that point, it'd be impossible to sell it as a as a device that wasn't really effective. So right, that, that idea right. got scrapped. Um, and it's 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 unfortunate too because um, we we ran into a bit of bit of an ET situation. Um, Alan had already made countless numbers of quad quarters. Right, because uh, everyone the would have their own. Exactly. Yes, that was that was that was one thing that Gene was very adamant about is that um, you know true to how how life would actually be in the Star Trek universe, every ensign has his own quad quarter. Right. Right. So um, we ended up having to just dump them in a landfill somewhere. Um, when they're probably still there. So, you know, any fans listening to this. Well, it was all plastic, you know? so it's not like it's going to, you know, return to the Earth. <laughs> Certainly yeah. not. Yeah. But so there's, there, there are these quad quarters out there somewhere, and I bet they'd fetch a, a pretty penny. I wonder if any of the merch, fan merchandise got made, like the um, things we're going to sell. There was a big uh, marketing push in the in the works where, you know, it's like Johnny, get your gun. Ensign, get your quad quarter. Uh, it was going to mm -hmm, be on like mm -hmm. t-shirts and mugs and stuff. Um, catchphrases were really big in television at the time, and uh, we had been looking forward to integrating some into TNG like that that uh, the characters could say. And sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes you plan for it and it works, and sometimes something um, accidentally becomes a bit of a catchphrase, like um, Picard's tea order uh, was something that fans really latched onto, but we didn't really have any uh, initial ideas of that being at all significant. It's yeah, not... yeah, and it, it really makes you realize exactly what kind of people your fans are. You right. Know, you see that happen. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And um, even more so to the point, now that we've told this story, I know once conventions start opening up, we're going to go to them and we're going to hear a lot of Ensign get your quad cord. Um, just people mm -hmm, parroting mm -hmm. uh something as soon as they hear it and uh, right right i mean that is that is what makes you um you know a bigger fan than than the next guy right is right your knowledge of these things right and um your ability to flaunt and exhibit that knowledge openly. well i mean to be fair mitch yeah there is a bit of a skill um knowing when to to bring that kind of stuff out knowing what to bring out at what time right so true 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 so um, I will give a special prize to any ensign out there who who gives me the most um, apropos usage of ensign. Get your quad quarter at the next Star Trek convention that we both attend. There we go. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, yeah. We'll actually uh, we'll we'll send you something nice, some merch or something, maybe something exclusive. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, something exclusive. Yeah, yeah, nothing you can just go and buy anywhere. But uh, that that's something for all you all you little ensigns out there. Be yeah, looking forward uh, to it. So tweet at us, email us, whatever. Yeah, and uh, same thing with um, asking any questions. If you're like Phil and you have a very very insightful question you want to have answered on the podcast, you can tweet at us or you can email to us 
at uh, the readier room at gmail.com with capital T, capital R, and the second capital R. And uh, we'll get your email, read it, and potentially respond to it. Just how these things tend to go. Hmm. Potentially. Potentially. Yes, yes, yes. And I can't make any promises. God knows. But anyway, that's our question of the week. Thank you very much, Phil. And that's going to take us to today's ep- episode, the, the, the main topic of, of discussion, which I think is a an episode that while I was watching it, I was like, oh, <laughs> I am looking forward to, to talking about this one. Um, I, I think it's got a lot going on in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so the name of this episode is Home Soil, and it's ostensibly a, for maybe half of it, it's like a, it starts as a murder mystery plot on a, um, like a isolated space station, essentially, not quite a space station, but whatever. And then it evolves into this, um, kind of first contact story. Yeah, right. And, um... I liked both halves of that, of that whole, but mm-hmm. um, I think either of them, or rather both of them, would have been better just stretched to a full-length episode. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. I think both of them um, had a good foundation, but like so many other episodes in season one of this show, um, the execution is not great. Right. So we can talk about both halves of this, but I, we might as well start with the with the murder mystery one, given that that happens yeah. first. Yeah. Um, really cool concept for a murder mystery plot in a sci-fi setting. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So there's a, a man's killed by like a a laser cutting tool. A mining laser. Yeah, yeah. And the question is like, okay, well, how did this happen? Is it malfunction? Was it programmed to do this? Was it being controlled? Um, right. Which is kind of like the that full integration of of sci-fi in, into the murder mystery thing. It's not just um, finding a dead body and and trying to think of the killer. It's like, well, what are, what are even the the circumstances that could lead? to somebody dying in a situation like this. It's got an right, added right, layer right. of complexity. Exactly. You know, see, like, it's it could be someone controlling it from another room. It could be programmed, you know. It could be any number of things. You know, it was hacked from another planet or something. You right. know? Um, cool stuff. You're right. It's even kind of set up because there's this moment where, like, one uh, character talks to another. He's like, oh, you should go to the, the laser room, whatever it is, right now. Yeah, yeah. And the guy's like, really? You, you think so? And the, his boss is like, yeah, go. Um, and it, which is, you know, suspicious. Doesn't end up mattering. Doesn't end up figuring in anything. Uh, kind of a red I, herring. I, I guess it was meant to be a red herring. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a... I don't think it's necessarily bad that um, our expectations were subverted here mm. and it became a different kind of episode. Um, but... Th- I do agree. The setup was just so good that it made me kind of just want it to continue being murder mystery. Right. And, the, uh, the, the, and it's so much better than, than Picard going into the hollow deck and solving a murder mystery or whatever, you know? Right. It is infinitely more interesting than that. And part of that is, is 
that setup where your mind, having seen murder mysteries, you know, across all sorts of media, you're like, all right, I'm starting to put together clues and you know, looking at these characters and thinking about their motivations. Because, of course, there's the boss who sends the one guy to the place where he dies. There's also mm-hmm. um, another worker there who, when he meets Data, he's like completely taken by him. And he's like, oh, my God, an android? An artificial yeah, yeah. life form? And, you know, he's kind of like notably fixated on it to the point where when they introduce this inorganic life form later on, um, I'm like, ah, you know, maybe because that guy was really interested in data being another kind of inorganic life form maybe he's got some mm. kind of connection to this and that's yeah, gonna nope. end up mad no no of course not um, um yeah 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 it's uh you're right and we'll we'll get into that when we discuss the second half i think uh, it would probably be better mm. um but um i do want to talk about i want to talk about the set but before that did you notice uh when they bring up um What's his name? Mandel? Um, the, he's the dead the one, right? Screen. No, no, no. He's the... Uh, the, the he's uh, Walter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, Walter. Uh, did you notice when, when they have him up on the on the view screen and he and Riker... He and, uh, Picard and Troy are talking to him. Hmm. Um, Picard just closes the channel in the middle of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of rude and sort of suspicious. I, I assume the idea is like that's that's muting their 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 half, but to me it seems yeah. like it would be essentially hanging up on the guy. Cause, yeah, but even if it's muting their half, it's a little bit like you right. know what are you doing? Right, because you know imagine you're on like a um, a call on some app and somebody mutes their half of it and you hear. Not just them get muted, but you hear like all the white noise of their room cut out, and it's like very obvious. And then like he would see Picard lean over to Troy to to talk, and it's like you know, yeah, why are you hiding? Yeah, it's it's unprofessional, and they're already pissing the guy off by interrupting his work. You know, right. it's it doesn't paint the Federation in a great light to me, but whatever. Um, I don't having finished the episode, I don't understand his consternation in that scene because oh oh yeah why he was all worried because there was no reason for him to to have been worried right yeah exactly because they established that he was more or less ignorant of you know the proceedings later on that's a great point that's a great point and that's another red herring but it's it's a red herring that makes zero sense um when when you look back having watched the episode so it's very clumsy actually right like red herrings are fine subverting expectations is fine as long as you don't um more or less lie to the audience. But then, then again, yeah. this could just be another example of Troy not being very good at her job. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> he's hiding something, I know it. And um, he says not. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, we've seen plenty of that. We see that almost every episode, so... Right. Uh, maybe it's a canon, you know? I, I would like to think so, but if if Troy really was bad at her job, and that was canon, she would not be the the queen of the chess set. Right, right. right. Yeah, she, yeah, you're right. She wouldn't be. She wouldn't be. So, I, um, I, unfortunately, that's more of a, just a theory. She wouldn't, she wouldn't be wielding her, her assault rifle on, in, in the Beta Z Wars or whatever. <laughs> the Beta Z Wars, I, uh, never has a funnier phrase been spoken. Yeah, never will be. 
I, I like um, I like to imagine a beta Z war of like them fighting each other just on front lines and everybody's like hurling telepathic insults and such. Well, yeah, they they just have to be mean to each other. Right, right. <laughs> Fire when you see the blacks of their eyes. <laughs> anyway, um, you wanted anyway. to talk about the set. I want to talk about the set, um, mostly just to gush about it because I really liked it. It was it was very. Um, it was another set, you know, as as. Apart from the chorus of season one, it was another set that kind of reminded me of the original series. Mm. Um, it had all those, you know, old looking computers. It, it had kind of a, a, a that kind of like color grading to it and all that. It was, it was, it was neat. That's all. I mean, it was nice. It was. There was a lot of new physical props, new to the series at least. I mean, it it, it looked kind of, I don't know, old fashioned because a lot of that stuff was, um, uh. That's that lab, terraforming lab. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, all of it was sourced from different sci-fi productions from like the seventies. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, our prop master and the whole prop department did like an insanely thorough job getting all this stuff as as a way to as like a send off to a previous era of sci-fi that um, kind of with the advent of TNG was coming to an end. Um, so there's things like one of the computer consoles was from Zardoz, I think, and the costumes were from mm-hmm. Logan's Run, and like the the there's that big sphere, um that that, that is supposed to be a representation of the planet that one of the right, characters right. moves around. That was yeah. from one of the Planet of the Apes movies, like the the laser cannon that kills the guy was from Star Crash. It, yeah. you could go on about every single yeah. prop that was there. There and, there's the the ship model from the last Starfighter. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, and it's cool. It's like, it doesn't enhance the show for your average viewer, but when like real sci fi fans, they see this love letter to, to the genre, it's like, it does a few things. A, it's just interesting and, you know, fun to see. B, it kind of gives Trek this, this credibility of like, yeah, we know what we're doing. Um, we're, we're, we're paying the proper respects. And, um, mm-hmm. See, it's just a fun story to tell on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, why we did it in the first place. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it it was it was very cool, and um, I, I invite the audience to go rewatch that scene again um, and see how much you can pick out. Right. Because um, it's filled to the brim. You you do need a keen eye, but if you're up for the for the task, you'll you'll be rewarded. Yeah, absolutely. Now but it's, I think the um, the way that that set looks very unfamiliar from uh, other TNG sets, you know, contemporary sets, is um, it helps with that murder mystery atmosphere because you go in, you're kind of yeah, suspicious of everybody. Fire. There's shots mm-hmm. of like characters standing behind other characters, like Jordy's at some console, and one of the the terraforming station workers is like behind him in the shot and Jordy can't see him and he like is this guy gonna come up on Jordy and attack him and like he he you know he's the perpetrator I don't know um things feel um unfamiliar and a little tense in the speaking set. of shots yeah speaking of shots um I, I I was just remembering your um 
your reaction to certain close-ups in the last episode. Oh yeah. And I'm wondering if you had that issue this episode because because this this was directed by Corey Allen, um, and uh, he seemed to really love his close-ups. Um, I don't think so. I think it. Yes, it was the close-up, but I think you know that too. But I think the type of lens used was different with the other close-ups and it, uh, mm-hmm. the ones that I was talking about. And it kind of accentuated, kind of stretched some of their facial features. Um, in this, uh, okay. I did notice um, some camera movement that was pretty interesting in in the di- that the direction of this episode. Um, like there's one shot on the bridge where like the camera pretty quickly swings around and like pulls back um that was pretty visually interesting Mm -hmm. um so with television directing um a lot of times it can just be kind of flat and sterile you know you see this a lot of the episodes that frakes directed and other times it can um be pronounced at very specific times where it adds a lot of flair and yeah, yeah. In others, it's invisible but functional. Um, so directing television, I don't think you need to really go or really should go all out in in making a, you know forty minutes of visually interesting well, cinematography. Yeah, I don't think you really can most of the time, or, right? Because how many? Not, not that you can't, but it's it's kind of a tall order. Because the the sets are built to be filmed in a very specific way. Yeah. Um, you know the. The bridge, for example, most of the time it's missing one of its walls. Uh, the set is right, so it kind of limits what you can do. But um, when you have those moments of like pretty um, uh, heady direction, they mm. they stick out in your mind, and uh, it's like, oh, this is pretty good. So did a good job. Yeah, yeah, that. sure. Yeah, and uh, I was gonna say, you know, it this episode feels quite a bit different. Um, from encounter at farpoint mm. and um i mean i mean that in a good way too but i i guess that's probably just the result of it farpoint having you know too many hands in the pot right right you had delancey doing his thing gene doing his thing so um this this may be the first episode that alan directed that was actually in his own style um and it paid but, off it did. It did. Um, in any case, um, going back to going back to the set, um, I do want to discuss the juxtaposition of what is probably the worst actor in this episode against the best actor in this episode. Probably the best actor in the series so far. <laughs> well, yeah. You know what? You're you're probably not wrong. Um, the the woman explaining terraforming. Right. Um, so okay. She was Miss Hawaii, right? right? Ten years prior to this. That, now, that, that so wasn't her name. That was a title that she won. It was a title. I've already forgotten her name, but, but it was something Hawaiian. Right. Um, we did not hire her for her acting skills. I think that should be abundantly evident. Yeah. If, uh, uh, if you've seen the episode, you'll, you'll know. So what happened was Jean... Gene had a single piece of media that he kept recorded on tape, on hand, all the time. And that was the, the Fantasy Island episode that this woman appeared in 10 years prior to, to the Star Trek episode. Right. 
um, Gene had been obsessed with her since he saw it. So he's the one who personally wanted her. Now, unfortunately, I guess no one gave him the memo, um, but this episode aired in 1988. By that point, she'd already... How did Gene put it? He um, hit, hit, hit the wall? Hit the wall, yes. She'd already hit the wall. Um, and so after he'd seen her, he actually just, he spent most of his time during production just like moping and right. um, playing the really tape. Not doing anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Play, yeah, he did. He, God, he played the tape a lot. Um, and he actually stepped down from his head writer position after this episode. He was, he was kind of uh, really shell shocked by this. Well, it's a, it's um, a sign of the changing times, right? Um, yeah. You can't, can't cling to the past forever. And, I think Gene was finally starting to realize that this was no longer the sixties. Um, Star Trek was not the same as it was before. Hollywood was not the same as it was before. And mm -hmm. um, Gene was not the kind of person to adapt and roll with the, with the changes in the times. Yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it's really, it really just became so evident that, um, you know, his, his time was kind of up. Right. You know, um, both in, uh, in his career and his life. And his life, yes. Yes, definitely. Mm. Now, Walter Gotell, on the other hand, oh um, my God. he was also suggested by Gene because Gene loved his performance in uh, the only Bond film he had ever seen, which was Octopussy, of course. Right. Um, where he played uh, the Soviet leader or the Soviet, uh, the KGB leader. Right. The, the Bond villain. Yeah, yeah, he played the Bonville. Um, and I I do have to say, he was great in this episode. Oh my god, he was um, distractingly good, I would say. He, he starts acting and... Good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that, like I said, he might have been one of the best performances so far in the show. He was just really competent. And, like, <laughs> you don't get that often. Not here. No, not really. Not really. But, you know, he was a big film actor. So, well, right. you know, as big as Bond is, basically, you know, so. Right. Um, so, but, you know, he was in films before this in any case. Who who would you take in the, in the arena, heads up, um, his performance? Or, um, uh, what, I forget his name, the the guy who was the mobster. Elaine's father. What was that? Elaine's father. Yeah, <laughs> Elaine's father. Uh, <laughs> probably this guy. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I Lawrence Tierney, that's his name. Well, yes, Lawrence Tierney. That's it. So I like I respect them both a lot as actors and and artists, but Lawrence Tierney is kind of like a. It's almost like he's doing a bit. Like that's that's just mm -hmm. that's just his his archetype that he plays. Whereas exactly, whereas um, Walter is more of just an actor, right? He's he's not yeah reprising some earlier role he's just he's just doing his job and it's doing it really well yeah, he, he clearly has a, a, a wide range you know right it's uh um, i'm glad we never went with that idea where all of the um secondary characters would be played by john delancey yeah that was being kicked around for a little bit huh right because q being omnipotent and such like he could follow the enterprise crew around and Right, right, and not only that, you could you could shape shift. So you you know you get a little bit of variety in there between 
um, Delancey scenes. And, you know, also it would have been so much easier to do, you know, any kind of reshoots we needed or whatever if we couldn't get Delancey because he can shapeshift. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but, so it, there, there was a lot of stuff we could have done with that. But at the same time, it would have robbed us of some good performances and it would have well, I guess that's counterbalanced by the amount of performances it would have saved us from. But <laughs> yes, um, uh, Miss Hawaii explaining terraforming for five minutes this episode was it was so a, long. You know, it was it was grating. I wanted to pull my hair out. I wanted to leave the room, shut the TV off, anything. Well, you remember the fight about that, right? It's um, having a five minute explanation on what terraforming is in just popped in the middle of the script. Um, oh right we we were okay doing that early on you know uh at the beginning of the series season one at uh, the beginning of season one rather okay we need to take some time to explain these um scientific concepts to to the audience so that they'll latch on to our show and follow with it you know primetime tv audiences are not the most intelligent i would say um just statistically you know, in market research. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But For sure. at this point, the writers are starting to, to push back on it. They're like, we can't, our script will be so clunky. We want to do some more things. If we take all this time to explain what terraforming is, it's just, it's going to eat up a lot of valuable screen time. Um, And Gene was kind of on the other side of that. He's like, no, no, audiences, they're not going to get it. They're not ready. We need right. to, we need to tell them. And it was a back and forth, back and forth. And the only reason it got solved was kind of like happenstance. The director rolled up to the discussion that our head writer and Gene were having. And he kind of poked his head in and asked a question. He's like, I, do we really need to have a whole episode about tiger farming? Tiger farming. Right. Yeah. Yep. And Gene uh. kind of just had this look on his face like, you see? And uh, it stayed in. I, I mean, I guess for the best because... As as we went on, we were we were reaffirmed at every turn that our audience um, was you know not the smartest, right? Uh, so it, it it did tend to be the better idea to over-explain, mm -hmm. you know. It's uh, it's not like today where the only people who watch Star Trek are specifically seeking it out on Netflix and that kind of selects right, for a certain right. type of individual. When it, when you're on primetime television, you need every set of eyeballs that you can get and mm -hmm. you know sometimes you do that by over explaining the science and sometimes you do that by having a ghost story in a victorian mansion um you do what you got to do yeah. yeah and you know yeah so for you for you zoomers out there um you know back in the day when you were watching tv you didn't have a choice you either watched star trek or you went to bed hungry you know and you couldn't so... fast forward the commercials Oh no, but sometimes those were the best parts. That's true. That's true. Uh, a lot of fond memories of um, different uh, insurance sellers and their ad campaigns. Good times. Great sponsors. Great sponsors. Great bumpers too. Did you do you remember the the Cheers bumper that used to to air right before we would come back from commercial? Which one is that? Um, so that was the one where it was at Cheers, the bar, and right. Worf and Jordy kind of beam in, and there's Norm and Cliff, like, sitting at the bar, right. and they're like, uh, they kind of look at the people as they beam in, like, oh, you want a drink? And Worf pulls out his tricorder, and he's like, what a strange synthahol. 
I'll have oh, some. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was a bit of cross-promotion. Yep, yeah, and every, everyone laughs, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh, that's right. Wow, I guess I memory hold that one. Yeah, it's it's valuable. You're not going to get that on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, go look that up on YouTube. Um, our audience, of course. Right. Not you, Mitch. I, I got yeah. a show to record. <laughs> so I want to talk about the, the, the murder scene. Um, pretty gruesome the sound effects anyway yeah gruesome um, the door jamming was interesting to me um, how how a, an electronic like password hmm. uh, operated panel could jam well I, I think the implication and I don't know if this pans out is that the the entity the life form oh yeah yeah is controlling I guess that, that makes sense. I, I just found it kind of funny um <laughs> And Crusher walks in and says, from the look of his wounds, it's probably hopeless, despite, again, having brought a man back to life maybe 10 episodes ago. Yes. Uh, I, I love how everybody stands at the threshold of the door and they're like, let's not go in. Let's not beam him up remotely. <laughs> right, 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 let's just right, watch. Not even trying. <laughs> the episode calls for a death. The characters must do, act helpless and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, while the murder scene is happening, by the way, the sound effects that they chose. Um, so yeah. the man, the man is like burned with lasers, but it's the sound effects right. are more like crunching or yeah, yeah. So when when you're hearing that, you're like, oh my god, what the hell is happening to this guy? Is he gonna be just chopped up, different pieces or what? And then the door yeah, opens I and he's just like burned. <laughs> I did not know what to expect when uh we got to the other side of that door which was pretty cool i i liked that again that kind of gruesome moment was was also caught caught me off guard and kind of contributed to the whole tone of the proceedings um mm-hmm. but yeah when somebody needs to die the any contrivance that you can think of will be necessary <laughs> surprised i didn't have like oh the tricorder killed him you get it to do that too <laughs> Well, you know, that would be a reason to upgrade it then, wouldn't it? That's true. Yeah, he's using the tri... Like, oh, let me see that tricorder. And it, like, explodes and, and kills him. And they're like, oh my god, when are we going to get those quad quarters in? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. So um, that that's, that's like, the main thrust of the episode. Um, I think right, it cuts right. to commercial there. And yeah. at that point, I'm, like, super invested in it. I'm really into it love that um and it plays that out for a little bit more before it kind of switches tracks to its other plot um there's a lot of suspicion that falls on the head of the research facility the terraforming station walter and i like that that little like beating around the bush where it's like okay he knows something he's not telling us Mm -hmm. we can't exactly just uh, accuse him of nothing data go do this investigation um which was also neat although data like having like a a boss fight was kind of strange um where it's it's oh yeah it's like a very video gamey scenario i think like data goes into this room and this laser activates and he's like you know jumping around the room dodging it and then he has to just like destroy the damn thing um (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it was a little silly. 
It was kind of silly. I liked the shot of him like at the console where the the laser starts like poking around behind him, and you see it like kind of take aim at him. Um, uh, data being like in the direct center of frame was an interesting choice of framing to me. Um, usually people like you know they have their rule of thirds or whatever, and right, this uh, kind of like directly violated that intentionally, of course, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it looked good. I liked it. I like the um, the part where Picard yells, "Get him out of there!" He, yes, he, he says. He says he he contacts Jordy right, and he's like, "What's going on down there?" And th- and then he screams, "Get get him out of there!" Referring to Data, um, just helplessly, you know, like as if <laughs> as if that's going to do anything. Yeah, you know. Picard Picard's role in in this situation was was very neutered. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's further uh, it's made more strange by the fact that um, once Jordy is like, I can't I can't get him out of there. Picard's like, I'll just beam him up then. Like, why didn't you do that first? Right. Right. It was so confusing. Right. Again, just contrivances for the. It was a contrivance. Yeah. Anyway, let's. uh... We can move away from that. Well, before um, we move away from that, there's one very funny line of dialogue, one very funny okay. exchange. So, at the onset of that, Jordy uh, communicates with Picard, and he's like, uh, "We have a problem." And Picard says, "Be specific." And it's just that yeah, that exchange right. is hilarious right. to me. Well, that was that was that was part of that entire exchange I was just talking about too. Right, like right. it's a wild ten seconds or so. Um. <laughs> What were they thinking? I have in my notes here actually that um, it, it was it was in this episode I think that I noticed that the the lack of uh, Worf being around in any meaningful capacity is starting to really get noticeable. Well, the thing is that Worf, his meaningful contributions to the plot versus his screen time, one of those is now growing and the other one is not. Um, yeah, Worf has a lot of dialogue in this episode, rel- relatively for Worf. Um, yeah, I. So the one I wrote down was just cutting to Worf saying, "I cannot understand the patterns," and then it just cuts <laughs> to somebody else to explain it. <laughs> but what happened was that um, Michael Dorn—I mean, you know—he's Worf. He, he he noticed in the first like seven, seventeen, sixteen episodes. They didn't have a lot of dialogue, and he's like, "Oh, writers, please give me more dialogue." And you know, mm-hmm. writers and they never like being told what to write, so they're like, "All right, Michael, we'll give you dialogue." And then they just gave him, they gave Worf a bunch of stupid lines like that. And there's other ones in this episode that are just equally dumb, equally nothing. I was like, "All right, Worf's talking now. Didn't say anything substantial. Let's have another character follow up with the actual point of the scene." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we are going to get a lot more of that too. Poor Michael, man. Yeah, I couldn't catch a break. Well, you know, then he got insanely popular, so I guess all is well that ends well. But his his break will come once he starts dating Troy. Of course, of course, that's what we're really waiting for. So we get um, we get into this this discovery. Um, I do want to note that. Uh, Wesley was once again standing in, um, in I guess, what was the medical office or whatever. Right. Um, 
as as if he had any reason to be there analyzing this this life form. Well, he's just hanging out with his mom. Maybe, maybe that is what he's doing. But doesn't he have like actual duties now that he's an ensign? Isn't today Mother's Day? Have some fucking respect. That's it. You're right. You're right. That's why he was there. Okay. My bad. I'm sorry. Um, Moving on, though. Moving on. This is where we start to see that this episode really just has no conflict. Because, and here's the thing, when you move away from the murder mystery, okay, sure. Um, But when you framed these characters, you know, um, Mandel specifically, as someone who's clearly hiding something, and then the resolution to that is, I wasn't hiding anything. Right. Uh, and I'm I'm a morally upstanding person who has no problem with abandoning this project. It it, it just falls completely flat. I agree completely. You know? it, it it betrays all of the intrigue that was built up in the first mm-hmm. half. Like it would be one thing for him to be the kind of guy who is like, you know, who cares? We started this project. We have a job to do. Right. It, it, you know, these life forms aren't anything that we know life is so who cares about them They're if he was one of those kinds of guys, yeah if he was one of those kinds of guys it would have been much better yeah. much more of a, a real conflict to it it's like all right we'll throw you in the brig and that's the conclusion and it's like great you know it's very easy to to, to solve that problem in the story and you have a bit more of an ethical moral conflict there's an antagonist and it also mm-hmm. just gels with everything you established before Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but no. Instead, we have to go with the uh, the Enterprise crew fighting a jar filled with a couple Christmas lights. <laughs> well, you see, they're growing. They're they're multiplying. They are growing. They they are growing to form a micro brain. Right. Um, which coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, was uh, Rick Berman's nickname amongst the uh, cast and crew. Right. It was. You a remember? Bit of, bit of an homage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> micro brain um but yeah yeah they they form a micro brain and start wreaking havoc like right like closing doors and turning off lights yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i i kind of <coughs> i don't really buy the idea that there's a lot of hand waving to establish the fact that because these things multiply they are like a computer mm-hmm. um which I don't really get. It's like, oh, well, you know, in our cells, one cell can't really think, but you have a lot of cells, and um, then you you start having brain function and, and the ability to think. And it's like, well, okay. I mean, they're silicon-based, so... Right, but it's like, Dr. Crusher, we have millions and millions of cells in our body, and there's six of these things. Well... Do they ever say they were individual cells? Because I think if you can see them like that, they got to be more than one cell each, right? Well, they don't have cells, right? They're inorganic, but... Um... Can you make a cell out of silicon, theoretically? I know you can make breasts out of silicon. And that's the end of our podcast, folks. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> anyway, um... Yeah, like, it's not that it's impossible, it's just that it felt um, hand-wavy, like I said. Not a big deal, right. but I, I just didn't, like, buy it completely, whereas some of the other scientific explanation is uh, um, 
I can understand pretty easily. Or rather, not like I can understand it because I know science, but like as a viewer, it's easy for me to buy. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was thoroughly um, comfortable and convinced with everything that was going on in mm. terms of the science here. I, I liked some of the stuff, like oh, you know, it's the 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 sand and the water underneath of it, and over yep. time, yep. like that that makes this this silicon like that that makes sense. Um, I like that. And that's part of what makes this episode so cool is is delving into the the hard science like that, where where Trek really never went. Right. And choosing a terraforming station to to be the the source of conflict with a life form that's yeah made in such a way like it's just a really cool idea. Yes. So I agree. I, I think a lot of that worked, and I don't think that the the computer stuff didn't work per se. Just that I I kind of like tilted my head at it. I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess. Speaking of computers, you know what bothered me when. Uh Crusher is talking to the computer. And, and she tells and it to theorize? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're both on that. I wrote that in my notes. Do these people even have real jobs at this point? Computer, think for me. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like on its way to being sentient. Right. It's... And then it like gives an answer. Life, life, <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, which uh, you know, it is. It is definitely that's not the definition of life by any stretch. So I don't know where the computer pulled that from. Well, it's told to theorize, not be correct. Maybe from the silicon-based life form that uh, the original crew met. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the Enterprise records or something. Um, because I was I was sitting there through the whole episode thinking they've really never run into a non-carbon based life form before, but they have. I mean, the crystal like, entity. Was, oh yeah, and the crystal. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way that's carbon based. Right. So come on. Watch your own show, God. <laughs> I I gotta say, we we have to say it. The micro brain is much better than the crystalline entity, though. Nah. Hold on. Well, hold on. Let's stop. Are you gonna sit there and think about it? Well, no. I, I, it's, I don't. I don't need to think about it. It's a thing. I just. I. I disagree with this. Um. Are you serious? Yeah, I am actually. So, part of the reason I liked the crystalline entity was that it was um very unknowable, unmysterious, difficult to communicate with, impossible to communicate with, till later episodes. Um. And it seemed more like a force of nature, which is cool. It's it's mysterious, and that's interesting. And the, this this silicon life form starts out that way, and then it starts communicating with them, and that's that's kind of the low point. I can understand of, where you would take umbrage with it talking like a baby. Yeah, and even putting my gripes with language aside, you know, and those pop up here as they always do. Um, the idea of it speaking um, at all just m breaks down that entire wall of mystery that surrounds it and um, establishes its motives exactly. It gives it a personality, which is like mm -hmm. humanizing it in a way, which is also less interesting. 
and all of that just makes it just another Star Trek race. Like they could have been t- commuting with a Klingon at that point. It's I don't think I don't think it's just another race. I mean, I think I think they needed to find some way to communicate with it, you know, for, for the for the sake of the plot. And maybe they didn't maybe it wasn't the best way to do it, but I think, you know, by virtue of it being ostensibly silicon based um and you know having no no real uh, culture comparable to to humans klingons anything like that i think just by that virtue it is different i think it's interesting to try to communicate with things that are so different from what you understand to be life well, well here's the I, I, yeah yeah well they do that with the crystalline entity later on in the series and it's really cool um because they're like okay well, it's, we haven't done that mitch i know i know but the point is you can do this in a, in a way that's good so when they get to the crystalline entity later on they're like oh you know it's crystal vibrations what if we send out vibrations at certain frequencies and right, um right. A, and attempt to send a message that way and they succeed yeah you're right yeah and if they in I this episode they could have been like oh it's it's flashing lights to try to communicate with us what if we data decipher this pattern and all right Riker, you go in there with a flashlight and, and flash it back at them <laughs> um something but to clarify what i meant i meant that i uh, th- this this episode the 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 micro brain in this episode is better utilized than the entity was in its episode before this yeah i can buy that um i like the idea of it kind of taking over the enterprise and you know, yes, it being a computer and it ab- its ability to interface with the ship's computer is, is an interesting threat, um, certainly. But it really didn't do much with it. Yeah, and it did. It, they didn't need to have it call them ugly bags of mostly water. Yeah, that was a little... Um, Ridiculous? It was, you know, like, like someone who likes Doctor Who a little too much would... would call people or something you know what i mean yeah and actually speaking of doctor it sounds just like a dalek would or dalek whatever there's like little short uh, round robots i don't, I don't know uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, okay uh, all right uh-huh. <laughs> whoops anyway <laughs> um so there's good and bad points to the representation of that that race that that alien but conceptually it's cool and mostly it works, so I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna say it ruins yeah. the episode because it doesn't. It does not. Um, right. It's just uh, things here and there fall a little flat, and I think that's kind of. I think I think the main sin of this episode is like what I said before, where the 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 crew of the terraforming station become completely uninvolved about halfway through right. for no good reason. There didn't need to be this clear divide of the two halves of this plot. It's not even an A plot yeah. or a B plot. It's because they don't run concurrently at all. Um, right. It's It just makes the beginning, which was very promising, disappointing, even if the end is in and of itself interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And we um, we have a weird, like, sentimental ending. Yes. You know, that, that feels out of place. Um, it, they they return the entity the 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 micro brain to its planet, and then Picard says, "Perhaps we'll come back in one thousand years when we're ready." <laughs> well, so. the, the 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 alien itself says, 
Like, we'll stop fighting, but don't come to our planet. You're not ready. You're still too primitive. Come back. And it literally says, come back in, I don't know, 300 years. Just which which I, I do have to stress, too, how ridiculous it is to hear something baby talk to you about how primitive you are. Right. That's kind of um, silly. Really not convincing at all. It, it, it felt a little... And, you know, not only that, but, like, cry about how little light it's getting when you are literally controlling the light. You're basically god to it, and it's telling you you're primitive? How do we defeat this thing? Oh, turn off the lights. No, I'm <laughs> right. powerless. Wow, how advanced. You, when you would think so that, controlling the computer of the ship, it could control the lights. You would think so, but no, you see that the, the lab lights were outside the lab for some reason. So. I like the uh, um the sound effect when Riker's turning off yeah. the lights. Like, <laughs> it's like a power down sound. Right, right. And um No, I'm that 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 line actually offended me. Which one? The, the you're you're too primitive. Ah, uh, yes. I, I legitimately felt offended by that, and um, yeah, and and then we get like this this saccharine like weird mushy ending about it. Uh, like Riker goes and looks at it for thirty seconds. Right. Just get a shot of him standing there staring at it. Which is the same way he looked at Miss Hawaii when he went to visit her in her quarters. Character walking into the yeah, character's room. And that, that's Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, Mitch. I forgot to write that one down. Um, I really quick about that specific interaction. We need to talk about this. So she's like going on about terraforming, and at one point she says terraforming makes you feel godlike. And then it cuts to Riker uh, like smiling fondly in reaction to that. Right, 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 right. I have it in my notes in all caps. What the fuck is this conversation? It was... So bizarre, so out of place, so unneeded, and led nowhere. They really, Riker didn't even do any. They they set it up um, that Riker, it, you make it. It's you think Riker's about to have sex with her. Like that's how it's shot. Right. Well, yeah, because because Troy looks at him meaningfully, and she's like, maybe you'd have better luck. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that's just and Riker's yeah. job to go have sex with anybody they they beam up. Right. Right. Well, it is. It is. So, you know, when he walks in that room, yeah, you think so. And then he's like, do you want to see it? You know, the thing that destroyed your career? Um, and she says no. And he gets up and walks out immediately. <laughs> That's like your final line in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It's... There is there is some kind of curse with people walking into other people's rooms that makes these scenes just so ridiculous. Well, if that's the thing, if it was a scene that was organic to the plot, it would not take place in somebody's quarters ninety nine percent of the time. So right. whenever this happens, you're largely just going to get a vestigial, extraneous conversation to the proceedings that uh, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> oh man. Um... What else was there? I want to give a quick shout out to our our. I guess there's the the other guy on the space station, but to our other guest actor in this episode, um, during the final act when like they're trying to, uh, stop this this entity on board, um, Riker's in engineering, and he shares a scene with an incredibly lovely woman. Oh, um, Gertha! Gertha, yes, we love Gertha. 
We do love Gertha. Now, yes, you probably noticed the same way you noticed about Miss Hawaii. Gertha is not an actress tra- trained as one. Um, mm-hmm. She would just be on on the set, uh, not on the set, but on the lot. She'd sit by security and just kind of hand out baked goods to people who came by. Very lovely woman, uh, I think it was her hobby. But I think everybody who worked at Paramount knew, not only knew Gertha, but had quite a fondness for her. She was like the the yeah. the lot mascot. So you know, we were like, Gertha, you wanna you wanna be on Star Trek? You wanna have a speaking role? And she's like, Sure, I can. I'll do that. My kids will enjoy this. Um, and she did, and. She's adorable. We love her. Gertha, you're the best. The um, best, yeah. I want to give her a shout-out, though, because right now, um, Gertha's kids are running a GoFundMe for her. Um, she's a little bit at risk of getting kicked out of her assisted living home. Um, and, you know, at this point, she just kind of lays in bed all day. But she deserves a place to do that in a dignified way and have a dignified end to her life. So I'll see if I can put the link somewhere in the description. But truck fans, let's do it. Let's make Gertha's life comfortable before she's beamed up for good. So I know right. I know we can yes. do it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we have great fans, um, just amazing people. I, I know I know it's going to be a huge success. And um, I, you know, we, we really, really, really love Gertha. So right. if we can do anything for her, um, we appreciate the help. Yeah. And I think that once you make such a contribution to Trek, um, it's just unfair for your life to end in any way, but uh, the most in the most comfort. Absolutely. Yeah. Final thoughts on this episode? Final thoughts. Um, well, it's uh, like we said, I think it's a great concept. It loses its footing here and there, um, but it is it is an episode I would rewatch, I think. Same. And I would recommend people to watch it. Yeah, this um, despite the first half and the second half not connecting as well as I would like, um, it's still quite good, and uh, you got a great performance in in there, uh, some intriguing ideas, and a, a tone. I guess if you've watched this episode, heard us talk about it, the tone of the first half is not going to hit the same way because you kind of know where it's going, but um, still worth a watch. Very, very, very good, especially by season one standards. But um, this episode would not be out of place in a in a later, better season of TNG. Mm-hmm. Just done slightly better, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, trivia time. I'm ready. I'm so excited for this. All right, we got a multiple choice question today. Well, um, my chances of getting it right have just gone up exponentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, silicon life forms. Yes. Of these five silicon life forms, which one is one that has not appeared in Star Trek? Okay. Okay. We have a Tholian, mm-hmm. a Dulap. Oh, jeez. A crystal dog, a crystal dragon, oh god, and an excalbior. <laughs> oh Jesus! They got it somehow got more ridiculous in sequence. Um, just the <laughs> names. So, 
There's a Dewlap, an Excalibur, a Crystal Dog, a Crystal Dragon. What was the first one? A Thier? Tholian. Tholian. Okay. Yep. So, I don't think that you would have Crystal Dog and Crystal Dragon as an answer if only one of them was correct. If only one of them had appeared. I'm imagining... Wait, 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 wait. Did I, did I ask the question right? It's which one has not appeared, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Okay. So I'm imagining yeah. some scenario where somebody has like a crystal menagerie and he's like, this is my crystal dog and this is my crystal dragon. <laughs> These are my gentleman suitors. Um, so I think that those two would go together. And I'm going to stop thinking about them, which leaves the other three. There's a Dewlap, a, oh my god, a Thol, Tholmir? Tholian. Yep, Tholian. Tholian. And, um, what the hell? It was uh, Excelsior. No. Excalbior. Excalbior. Okay. So Excalbior obviously has, like, Excalibur going on. So if there's, like, some kind of sword life form, it would probably be called that. Now, I'm having trouble envisioning like what a sword life form would look like, but that seems like a cogent enough idea that somebody might reasonably make that I'm gonna not. I'm gonna assume that that actually exists in, in Star Trek, mm -hmm. which leaves uh, Dulap and Tholmir. Tholian. Thol. <laughs> God damn it, Tholian. Um. Now, Dulap as a name sounds just too dumb to be real now I'm, yeah. set, I'm setting myself up for failure here i know <laughs> but um i'm gonna assume that it's dewlap because i can't really put an image to what that even might be so i'm gonna, so I'm gonna say dewlap well this is actually gonna be interesting um okay. because dewlap does exist it's the excalibur that was wrong no uh, the 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 dewlap it says Borg species nine one two. Uh uh. Um, I believe it appeared in a novel, so I don't know of if we course. have any images of that. Um, but yes, the Dulap does exist. I'm sorry to say. Damn. So, where did you get the name Excalibur? Did you make that? Uh, it's it's a it's a bastardized version of Excalibur. Oh, what's that? I don't know. Is that another sword-wielding species? Does this have to do with Excalibur at all? Uh, no, actually. Damn. They come from Excalibur. I'm sure they do. So, so um, what are they're... the crystal dog and dragon from? I don't know. Uh, those those are red links. Uh. So, the, the, the Excalibians are rock monsters. I see. I see, like the, like the B-52 song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I guess they appeared in some uh, some TOS comic series or something. And what is Tholmer? Uh, Tholian? Tholian? Those are... Um, th those those are from the, the original series episode, the Tholian Web. Are they just humans with a weird piece of makeup on their face? No, they're these, like weird they're not humanoid they're these red like bug looking things huh i guess you learn something every day yeah 
Well, I didn't get it this time, but I will probably not get it next time. So, probably. if you're interested in seeing the conclusion of um, my ongoing battle against useless trivia, then be sure to join us next time. And until then, everybody, please stay ready. The Troublesome Little Man Child. that in the history of many worlds there have always been disposable creatures.